As we further consider personal discipleship as well as the influence our lives could have in discipling others, the importance of a very intimate, abiding relationship with Jesus becomes apparent. In this episode, Carla explains the necessity and significance of abiding in Christ Jesus. Consider for a moment the activities throughout your day. Sometimes our daily routine can become so automatic to us that we no longer think about what we're doing. And often, it's during the most common practices of our day. Think about making breakfast, for example. If you've made toast for very long, you can most likely do so without even thinking about the details involved, right? You untie the bread wrapper, take a slice of bread out of the wrapper, put it in the toaster, push the button, and wait for the toasted bread to pop up. Then you spread the toast with butter, honey, or your favorite jelly. Did I miss any steps in that process? I actually missed the most important step. I failed to mention the need to plug the toaster into a power source. I just assumed that was a given, did you? If we're not careful in much the same way, we can presume we're plugged into our spiritual power source, yet go about our day without considering the ever-present need to abide in Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? To abide in Christ Jesus means to remain in Him, to continually dwell with Him in His Word and in His presence, to be connected to or plugged into His power. Abiding doesn't mean to merely visit. It's not temporary. At salvation, a believer enters into an eternal, secure abiding relationship with Jesus. Then, each believer is to grow in this abiding relationship with Jesus by developing greater dependence on His Word and His power. For example, some Christians may spend time each morning in prayer or reading their Bible, yet during the remainder of the day they make decisions independent of God's Word and the influence of His Holy Spirit. Jesus wants us to remain close, abiding in Him throughout the moments of each day, drawing from His wisdom, guidance, and strength. You see, life isn't made up of years or months or even weeks. It's made up of moments. And God wants to live with us and learn for us to abide in Him in the moments of each day. As we consider training others to obey each of God's instructions, such as abiding, we must first help them to gain understanding. That means that sometimes we need to use more scripture rather than less. In using more scripture, it may seem to the listener like you're taking a long road to arrive at the subject. Yet what appears to be a long road in some cases is actually laying the groundwork for them to better grasp the importance of the subject at hand. Such is the case today with the subject of abiding. So let's begin our journey on the subject by looking at Matthew 7.15. Jesus is speaking here and he says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Jesus is sending a warning here for people to be on the lookout, to be aware that not all people who appear to be prophets, meaning teachers here, are actually as they appear. Jesus says that these false prophets are dangerous because they appear harmless as sheep, yet within them they are as wolves. That's what many of the Pharisees were. Teachers who appeared to belong to God's flock of true believers, but in actuality, they were merely self-righteous. They took great pride in being Abraham's descendants. They were well-read concerning the scriptures, and they frequented the temple, yet did not have an abiding relationship with Jesus. In fact, their actions proved that they opposed Jesus. Some even hated him. Jesus goes on to talk about false prophets in Matthew 7, 16. 
He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus is saying, don't take them at face value because they're pretending to be sheep. Rather, examine their fruit to see what their lives are producing. Jesus is making the very important distinction between mere outward appearances and actual evidence produced through actions and behavior. Jesus continues to urge us to think about fruit production in verses 16 through 18. He says, Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad or corrupt tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Jesus is making an important correlation here between the fruit produced by a particular tree. If a tree is bad, corrupt, rotten, it has no means of producing good, healthy fruit. In other words, the nature of fruit is intrinsic to the tree in which it's attached. Jesus goes on in Matthew seven nineteen. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In the same way a farmer would rid his land of each tree that fails to produce any fruit, this verse points to the eventual destiny of those who falsely profess to abide in Christ, yet bear no fruit for his kingdom. Matthew 7, verse 20, Jesus repeats what he said in verse 16. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Again, Jesus makes the point that false prophets are recognizable. How can we recognize them? Well, this verse tells us, by examining their fruit. Although Jesus is specifically talking in this context about the fruit of a spiritual leader or teacher, this principle holds true in the lives of other people as well. So the question becomes this, how do we examine the fruit in the lives of others? We examine spiritual fruit in the same way we examine physical fruit. This example may seem silly, but if I took you over to a pile of watermelons and told you to accept them as bananas, there would be no convincing you. Why? Because even though bananas and watermelon are both fruit, they have different intrinsic qualities. Similar, all people are part of the human race. Yet those who are true believers in Christ Jesus will demonstrate unique intrinsic qualities that mirror Him. In other words, the life of a person governed and guided by God, although the person is imperfect, will consistently produce or demonstrate the intrinsic qualities of God's indwelling spirit. Galatians 8, 22-23 confirms this. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus addresses the differences between genuine and false disciples. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let's pay careful attention to the lessons presented in this verse. Jesus begins by saying, not everyone. He's about to make a distinction, and the distinction is clear. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. In making further use of my silly analogy, I can insist that a watermelon is a banana, but merely saying it's a banana doesn't make it one. Saying one thing and doing another, as we all know, it reveals hypocrisy. We see this in Isaiah 29, verse 13, for example. Here's where the Lord says this. 
These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Let's take this thought further. Hold your finger in Matthew 7 and go with me for a moment to James 1.22. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Again, we see that it's not merely listening or talking about God's word that produces spiritual fruit in a person's life. It's a person's response to the enabling of the indwelling Holy Spirit's transforming work. And the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a disciple of Jesus is undeniably transforming. I don't want to miss the other principle in verse 22. Notice that those who fail to put into practice God's truth are not only deceived, they are self-deceived. Jesus refers to similar self-deceived people in Matthew 7:21. Let's return there. I'll reread verse 21 and continue through verse 23. Jesus is still speaking here. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Please don't miss this. The people in these verses were capable of accomplishing incredible miraculous feats, yet they never entered into an abiding relationship with Jesus. This means that the amazing things these people did were not sanctioned by Jesus or performed under his authority. Sadly, the same thing can happen to people today. They may substitute genuine Christianity for mere religion. They can become content with merely becoming task-oriented, yet fail to ever become truth-oriented. Even people who regularly attend church can become faithful to a physical place without becoming faithful to the person of Jesus Christ. So what do all these passages of Scripture have to do with the subject and significance of abiding? Let me show you. In John chapter 15, Jesus explains what an abiding relationship with Him looks like. Let's begin in John 15, 1. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Jesus is the true vine because he is the only one who can truly provide life-giving and life-sustaining nourishment to the branches. Jesus refers to God, his Father here, as the gardener, because he has the role of cultivating and caring for the vine. Jesus continues in John 15, 2, talking about God the Father. He says, He, God, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Do you recognize that Jesus is making the same distinction here that he made in Matthew 7 that we just studied? The distinction is that there are some branches that appear to be a part of the vine, yet prove otherwise, because they bear no fruit. Then there are other branches that prove to be a part of the vine because they do produce fruit. Jesus uses the word picture of branches here to distinguish his true disciples from false disciples. You see, the first branches that Jesus speaks about are those people who appear to be connected to him, the vine, yet over time prove to be, in actuality, spiritually dead, incapable of bearing fruit that reflects the true vine. Judas Iscariot was an example of this type of person. We can read in Scripture that Judas appeared to follow Jesus, but his actions weren't based on faith in Jesus. 
To the contrary, he was one of the twelve disciples in number, but not in spiritual substance. Although Judas had a relationship with Jesus, it wasn't a genuine abiding relationship. The other branches Jesus refers to in this passage are people whose lives have evidence of bearing spiritual fruit. Concerning these people, Jesus says that God the Father prunes them, so they will produce even more fruit. This means that God uses various means of cutting back those things in our lives that get in the way or stunt our effectiveness for producing spiritual fruit. Even though pruning can be painful, it's necessary, and it results in increased fruit production. So let's continue by reading John 15, 3-4. Jesus is still speaking here. He says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It is God's word working in our hearts that justifies us by his grace through faith into an abiding relationship with Jesus. Then, as these verses point out, spiritual fruit is increasingly produced in each of our lives as we continually respond to Jesus. Verse 4 reveals what our response to Jesus should be. It says that we must remain in the vine. That's the definition of abiding, to remain. Since Jesus is the vine, we are to remain abiding in Him. Christ's transforming work is always based on His faith. In the same way that Christ's faith justifies us, it will continue to sanctify us as we remain in Him. So let's talk about what it looks like to continually abide in Jesus. Look with me at John fifteen five, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There are powerful lessons in this passage for us personally and concerning the process of making disciples. First of all, Jesus wants us to recognize our role in relationship to him. We are mere branches. Think about it. A branch receives everything necessary to sustain life from the vine, and it cannot survive without it. In the same way that a branch must stay attached to the vine to accomplish its purpose, we must stay connected to Jesus to accomplish his purpose for us. What is God's purpose for us? To produce fruit. In fact, in John fifteen sixteen, Jesus tells his disciples that he appointed them to bear fruit, fruit that will last forever. The purpose of a branch is to bear the physical fruit that resembles the type of vine in which it grows. God's role or purpose for us is to bear spiritual fruit that reflects Jesus. In other words, our efforts should solely draw attention to Jesus. This passage also tells us that producing much fruit depends on two things, Jesus remaining in you and you in him. This is a picture of an abiding relationship. Christ remains in us by continually providing and sustaining us with everything we need for life and godliness. We remain in Him as we allow His Word and Spirit to have effect or authority in our lives. The result or produce of Christ's effects in our lives is eternal spiritual fruit. Fruit production is evidence that we are truly under the influence of the vine. So let's further consider our role as a branch. When we see a grapevine with clusters of grapes hanging from its branches, we can immediately identify the type of fruit, right? Grapes. And the specific vine on which they grow. The branch gets to show off the beautiful fruit, if you will, yet it's the vine that enables the branch to bear fruit and that vine that gets the recognition. In much the same way, 
Our lives represent branches. We get to reveal or show off God's amazing supernatural work in and through our lives. Yet, it's important to be mindful that as mere branches, we are incapable of producing spiritual fruit on our own and should not get recognition for it. All glory and honor any spiritual fruit the Lord Jesus enables us to produce belongs to Him. Are you amazed that the Lord of Lords and King of Kings wants to include you and me in fruit production for His kingdom? Let's look again at John 15, 5, for Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In the same way that a branch will fail to produce anything apart from being connected to the vine, we will fail to produce fruit for Christ's kingdom apart from an abiding relationship with him. Some people find it difficult to understand how their efforts will fail apart from Jesus' involvement. After all, consider the great feats, the fame, and fortune that have been achieved through the efforts of man. It's true that apart from Christ, people can't accomplish much. Yet these achievements will have no eternal value. It's important to understand that it's not only the type of work we're doing, but also the means by which we do it that is significant to Jesus. If we're not careful... We can be well-meaning in our desire and approach to do kingdom work. Yet, if we act independent of Christ, our efforts can easily fail to reflect Him or serve to further His kingdom. In chapter 33 of Exodus, we find God giving Moses instructions concerning leading His people, the Israelites. Listen to Moses' response to God found in Exodus 33, 15-16. It says this, Then Moses said to him, God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me or with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? These verses clearly show that Moses highly valued God's presence. He recognized, he acknowledged that apart from God's presence, his personal efforts would be futile. The end goal meant nothing to Moses if it meant that God would not be with him throughout the process. How highly do you value God's presence in your life? Just as in Moses' day, how will others recognize the living God in your life and in my life apart from an abiding relationship with him? Listen again to Moses' last question concerning God's presence. He said, what else will distinguish me and your people from all other people? Have you considered what distinguishes you from other people? People whose lives are distinguished by an abiding relationship with Jesus produce an abundance of spiritual fruit for His kingdom. If it's truly your desire to influence others for Christ's kingdom, it's vital that you abide in Him, consistently delighting in His presence while inviting Him to speak into your life through His Word. As a result, you'll experience an increased awareness of His leading and guidance in the details and decisions made throughout your daily life. Then you can further abide in Christ by relying on His indwelling power to enable you in every way to obey His request. The response is up to you. Think about it. We're either going to choose to guess or presume we have the correct answers, or we're going to trust in the wisdom of all-knowing God. We can choose to base our decisions on circumstances or feelings, or we can rely on God's leading. We can depend on our own limited abilities or on God's unlimited strength. The choice is ours. When we fail to abide in God's Word and His presence, there's a disconnect from the Holy Spirit, 
and it affects our thinking, discernment, decision-making, and behavior. When we fail to abide in Christ, we are choosing to have our own way, operating apart from Him. And even though we may not feel rebellious, we are in actuality saying no thank you to God's involvement and divine influence in our lives. By remaining connected to Christ, attached to the vine, we have every means available to experience victory in any situation. For this reason, let's talk about some practical ways disciples of Jesus can grow in an abiding relationship with Him. Let's first look at ways to remain connected to Christ, abiding with Him through prayer. The Apostle Paul understood that communication was vital to having an intimate relationship with Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul tells us to pray continually. Now, Paul isn't telling us to abandon all else for the sake of prayer, but to incorporate prayer in our daily routine. The word prayer merely refers to the way we speak with God. And as with other relationships, we know that good communication develops as a result of both talking and listening. Since God already knows what's on our hearts and our minds, we should be at ease sharing our thoughts and concerns with Him. As we learn to listen to God, we'll become sensitive to the prompting, the nudging, the leading of His Spirit, and enabled to receive His wisdom and guidance. Some people may find it objectionable to take every matter of their lives to the Lord in prayer. After all, God created us with a mind so we can think for ourselves, right? I don't know about you, but it's the very act of thinking for myself that influences me to follow selfish desires rather than the ways of God. Can you relate? If you want to develop a deeper abiding relationship with the Lord through prayer, it's helpful to have a plan. Psalm 5.3 says, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. The psalmist sets a great example for beginning each day with the Lord. I encourage you before your feet hit the floor to practice acknowledging each day as a gift from God and thank Him for it. This will help you immediately centering your focus on Him. And although you may have a daily routine, you have a schedule, responsibilities, a planned appointments, commit your schedule to God's care. Trust Him that His plans are best. Invite the Holy Spirit to evaluate your motives and ask Him to enable you to be flexible, open, and available to what He desires to accomplish through you throughout the day. Communicate with the Lord, sharing openly those thoughts and concerns that are on your heart and mind. Then, as the psalmist did, anticipate the Lord working on your behalf. Continue to abide in Jesus throughout each day by consistently availing yourself to His presence. Communicate your thoughts and concerns that are on your heart to Him. Rely on Him. Practice trusting in Him to respond to your personal needs. Abiding with Jesus will enable you to live in the moment with Him rather than merely for the moment through the activity or task at hand. Are you ready to relinquish each moment of your life to the leading and guidance of Christ Jesus? In Psalm 63, 6, the psalmist says this, On my bed, I remember you, God. I think of you through the watches of the night. Even through the sleepless hours of the night, the psalmist chose to stay connected to the Lord. He viewed these wakeful moments as opportunities to pray and abide in Him. You know those nights when we wake up and you're not sure why and you aren't sure if you want to go back to sleep or if you should wake up and get something done? When God allows you to be awakened, practice asking Him to reveal anything to you that He would like you to know. As you turn your heart toward Him, 
Spend these quiet moments in worship through praise and thanksgiving, or ask him to bring to mind anyone he would have you to pray for. Listen to this beautiful picture of the psalmist abiding relationship with God in Psalm 42.8. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. We can see that abiding in the Lord through prayer can have enormous personal value in our lives. Let's also consider the great influence it can have as we make disciples. In Colossians 4, 2-4, Paul says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul instructs us here to develop a lifestyle, a lifestyle that is diligent concerning communication with God. Then, Paul asks others to pray to God on his behalf, asking God to provide open doors of opportunity and the ability to share the love and truth of Jesus clearly with others. As you continue to prepare to make disciples, I encourage you to ask others to begin praying for you in this endeavor. Ask them to pray that God will enable you to speak clearly and boldly with His courage. It's exciting to consider God allowing us to participate in His kingdom's work, isn't it? Yet, apart from an abiding in Christ, how will we recognize open doors of opportunity or what He wants us to say or do? Let's review Matthew 28, 19-20 to help us further understand the role abiding plays in fulfilling God's will for us. It says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It may be helpful at this time for you to reference the illustration entitled Personalizing the Great Commission found in this episode's outline. We've used these words before to help us remember the basis of Jesus' commandment for us to make disciples. The first word is lost, Because before a person becomes a disciple of Jesus, the Bible refers to them as lost. Because salvation occurs prior to baptism, we know that Jesus wants us to first and foremost share the gospel of his grace. We are then to baptize those who believe the gospel, followed by teaching them to obey everything Jesus commands. This means that as we set out to make disciples, the people we encounter could possibly be at many different places in their spiritual journey, their spiritual maturity. The people in this illustration represent the people you may come in contact with and the various places in their spiritual journey. Consider for a moment the people in this illustration. Some are lost, others are new Christians, while others are growing in their relationship with Jesus. But we can't recognize the spiritual well-being of others merely by looking at them. A person's spiritual well-being must be spiritually discerned. As we abide in Christ, depending on His Spirit for insight and relying on Him for discernment, He will reveal to us the spiritual needs of those around us. If we mistakenly act on assumptions or appearances, we could provide information beyond what someone needs or can comprehend. We could expect too little or too much from them and possibly even offend others. So, for example, by investing in physical appearances, a person could be considered elderly But from a spiritual perspective, they might actually be a babe in Christ. Are you recognizing the significance of seeking the Lord's wisdom, discernment, and influence throughout the moments of your day by abiding in Him through prayer? In addition to relying on Christ to recognize a person's spiritual needs, we must also fully depend on Him for the results in a person's life. This means that even though we're called to teach others to obey everything God commands, 
we cannot choose obedience for others. Consider Matthew 19, 16 through 22 as an example. It says this, A man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This young man walked away sad from the one person who could offer him eternal life. Like many people, he wanted the results, the benefits Jesus offers, but refused the process. People often want the benefits without any cost. And although it can be hard to watch people choose disobedience, God needs us to be disciplined instruments by allowing Him to supernaturally work in the lives of others. Consequently, we want to be careful not to pursue anything Jesus doesn't ask us to pursue while praying for those with whom we share truth that they will desire and seek obedience. Again, we see the significance of an abiding relationship with Jesus. As we remain in Him, we will be aware of when to speak, when to be quiet, as well as what to and not to say, and the manner in which to do so. Walking in reliance on Christ is freeing, knowing that you're doing all He asks of you in any given moment while leaving the results to Him. In addition to prayer, abiding in Christ through His Word and power prepares us to effectively convey truth in any given moment. In Corinthians 3, 6-7, Paul wrote this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You know, there may be times when God directs you to plant seed by communicating biblical truth to someone for the first time. At other times, you may water it by building on truth previously shared by others. Keep in mind that apart from the truth of Jesus, we have nothing of eternal value to offer anyone. And because only the Holy Spirit knows the needs of others, we must rely on Him to meet those needs. That means that rather than giving a person what we want them to receive, we will provide each person with what God knows they need as Christ reveals Himself to us. Prior to commissioning his disciples for service, Jesus reminded them of the authority by which they would be sent in Matthew 28, 18-19. Jesus wasn't merely expressing the authority that God the Father had given to him. He also wanted his disciples to understand that he was sending them out under the same authority. As we continue in the process of preparing to train others in discipleship, it can sometimes be challenging to determine our specific obligations in this area of service. As we abide in Jesus, we seek to do nothing on our own, but consistently remain under His authority. By walking under God's authority and under His control, we can rely fully on Him to show us what to do and what to refrain from doing in each situation. Then, if we're tempted to doubt or fear, we can know and we can trust that we are operating Christ's strength rather than our own. Since God has appointed you to bear fruit, He will provide opportunities for you to do so. 
Yet the only fruit that will last is that which is produced from abiding in the true vine, Jesus. As you invest eternally in the lives of others, God will enable you to produce eternal fruit. Those who live dependent on and under the authority of God's Word and His Spirit produce evidence that they do so. In much the same way we would anticipate and expect to see grapes as evidence of a grapevine, spiritual fruit production is evidence that we are truly under the influence of the true vine, Jesus. If you desire to grow in an abiding relationship with Christ Jesus, I encourage you to take advantage of the application in this episode's show notes. You'll find it to be a practical study guide to aid you in implementing the truths you've heard here today. 